So I'm just returning to Rolf's question about... I think perhaps the question is about have we any right to expect any kind of intimacy at all with the source of our being, with the ground of our being that in shorthand terms we call God? Is there something like that in your question? Because it's, we don't care really what God is as an abstraction. We care what God is as an experience or is not. Can I answer that even if that wasn't exactly your question? and then come to more conversation. So, before I think about Meister Eckhart, let me think about Psalm 46, verse 10, that all we will ever know of God is what we learn in stillness. But there's another part to all of this. Be still and know that I am God. There's another part to this. That through our conduct and through our self-knowledge we begin to know what seeking means, what yearning means, what being with translates into. In other words, in the stillness, we perhaps <coughs> begin to know, oh no, no is too big a word, glimpse, experience, touch, what the source of it all is, but we also begin to know, seek, who we are as expressions of that infinite life and light. So we learn it not through our experiences only of something that we think is emerging from the stillness that might positively possibly be of the transcendent or of the inner but even more than that we learn something of who we are much much earlier um, than the book of um, Psalms was Genesis where we're told I mean we're told things you know that um, you know earth was made in six days or something you know, really, uh, it's, we're not required to believe such a limited form of time when we're in the timeless zone. Um, what we are asked to conjure is that we are made in the image of the Divine One. What could this possibly mean? That we ourselves express something of this continuous possibility of creation and we express it 
in a particular way. And what's more, we have the opportunity through consciousness and conscience to renew and renew and renew, which is what creativity is. All creativity is, is renewing. You know, when when Rainer sits down and has a moment of communion with his materials, he's simply renewing the possibility of a dance that's so ancient between himself and a metal, between himself and a jewel. It's one of the most ancient dances of all. All of our brothers and sisters, in some way or another, have participated in this dance. I remember as a very young woman, this is a rather storytelling way, which I think is the only valid way, even to hint, hint. Um, As a very young woman, maybe I was 25, and I'd been in the workforce for nine years, but I'd worked in publishing for only three, and I was in a kind of ecstasy. I'd found my calling. I didn't know it was leading to my calling, but it was my calling, very much my calling. And it was so wonderful compared to everything else I'd done. And I went and worked for a a publishing house in London called um, the New English Library. And as well as publishing books, they published um, sometimes sort of one-off magazines. And in the in the in the uh, British Museum at that time, so uh, what am I talking about? The middle 1970s or something like that. Um, they had this exhibition of treasures from ancient China. Now, China was locked into the <coughs> Cultural Revolution, about which. Some of us were so deluded. But somehow or another, so I had to dive into this uh, exhibition because New English Library needed a publication to sell. London was very excited, very excited about this exhibition, and so they should have been. And New English Library wanted something to sell, so I put my hand up. You know, and I wrote this magazine called A New Light on Ancient China. What it really gave me was a new light on our human family. So I understood that in this continuous yearning for beauty in its finest sense, I don't mean just high art, sometimes very humble expressions of who we are and our relationship to the materials with which we create who we are, including the most profound material of all, which is our own lives. It is only in and through that that we begin to glimpse the divine. So it is both... Yeah, it is both... Yeah, I'll come to Meister Eckhart. So... Uh, He also said, not only the language of God is silence, but everything that you can say God is, God is not. Because we're trying to speak of the infinity with the finite. 
So then we have to become highly, we have to allow ourselves to become highly sensitized to hints, to subtleties, to what appears between the cracks almost. And at the same time, we have to be vulnerable enough to receive the gifts, both of fragility and of ecstasy and everything between. And everything between. Yeah. And we never know from which direction those hints come. But there's a wonderful word in English which is a very strong word that's hardly ever used these days. I have a lot to be grateful for. I, I, I didn't have a good relationship with my father, but my father had a very, very good vocabulary, and I learned a lot. So there's a word in English which is reify, which really means to thingify, to make things out of what is not a thing. Yeah? And in our grasping... We thingify God. We make God a thing. A thing. We make God a judging thing, a benign thing, even a love thing, even a needy thing needs us to behave in certain sorts of ways. Otherwise, you know, we, we, we reduce the infinite. And, and we do it out of a very honorable impulse, in my opinion no idea really if this is so but it's my instinct we do it to try to bring God closer we, we do it to try to bring God closer if we have that yearning not everybody does it's not everybody's destiny to have that yearning but we thingify God or we personalize God to try to bring God closer But actually, the mystery, and this is what all the mystics from all the, all the traditions say, even from the traditions that have said that there is, so, there is so much nothing we can say about God that we won't say God, like the Buddhists. But Thich Nhat Hanh speaks very freely of the mindfulness and the Holy Spirit. Um, so, so, in all of those traditions, they say the mystery is closer than our own breath because it is our breath. We breathe it. We breathe the mystery. Um, we, we also breathe the physicality of this transitory existence. Yeah? So, so that's part of the mystery, isn't it? That... This is the infinity too great for the finite mind. At the same time, oh, dear God, help me. And, uh, you know, no answer might come. However, this is where trust is needed. Something more than faith. Um, blessed are those who have not seen but do believe. Believe what? Believe what? Not that in everything there is a purpose. I don't think so. I actually think there's a lot of chaos. 
but that somehow or another, this is what's helped me, this is very specific to me, this is absolutely not dogma, please, or a recipe. There's a kind of fidelity. I think in, um, in Heaven on Earth, I say the answer to prayer is prayer itself. The very praying is it. Lifting up mine eyes to the hills is it. Is it. And, you know, some people might get much more than that and, and then not have it and get it again. But there's some moments in which we are just moved from our commonplace sensibility. Call it God, don't call it God. doesn't matter, one jot. It's, it's a yielding to the mystery that life is more than we can understand. And that the mystery itself is not just faithful to us, but it is faithful in us. You know, sometimes we hear a single note and it reminds us that we are more than our ears. Somebody says a kind word and we are more than our emotions. Somebody breaks our hearts and we're more than our heart. And Rilke wrote a rather peculiar story once. Um, it's years since I've read it, but basically it was... Michelangelo had made a sculpture or had a piece of stone. And God was crying out to be released from this stone because we so often look a hated thingifying God because it's out of that thingifying that certainty arises. And we need to be very, very careful of that because then it gives us the right not only to read the mind of God but to tell everybody else what we've read and to impose it. And that's where religion distorts into ideology and becomes a kind of travesty. It becomes a travesty. And I understand why, but it does, it does the mystery a tremendous disservice. So in this story of Rilke's, um, uh, you know, there's Michelangelo finally hearing the small quiet voice, release me from all your ideas. Just experience. Just. And then just, uh, you know, um, my father had six children. And of the six of us, I'm the only one that's, you know, we all have different callings in different lifetimes. I'm the only one that's been, you know, sort of obsessed, obsessed, possessed with all of this. Um, and sometimes disgusted and distant and highly critical, knew much better, and so on, but then still I would, you know, meet someone who had a spiritual practice. This was in the years when I thought I could replace everything with my political activism. 
I could be the best feminist in the world. <laughs> and it did me a lot of good, you know, but it didn't soften, and I needed to be softened. Um, so even in those times, I was very, very drawn to people who had a spiritual practice until I was able to return to spiritual practice meaningfully. But in older age, I've also come really to recognize, and I, 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 I want to share this with you because it's so helpful to me in giving other people space to be themselves. So the story that I tell myself, and I have no idea if it's true or not, is that in different lifetimes we are called to different experiences, including different experiences of the mystery. Yeah? And at the reason, one of the reasons I sort of trust this, I trust it enough that it comforts me, is that sometimes I've had, because I've had a lot of varied experiences in varied settings because I've lived in five countries and travelled to many and so on. Oh, sometimes I've gone to somewhere that is entirely new to me and feel so deeply, deeply familiar. Like when I said to you the other day, Krishna, Krishna Sevananda, oh, when I heard that brother say, oh, my name is, Krish my name is Krishna Sevananda, as though I would never remember it, and I thought, oh no, that's my name. Yeah, the bliss of Well, of course, I have never had that name. And, or sometimes to hear a prayer or to, to, to participate in a ritual. So, look, and it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just something I tell myself. doesn't matter. But there are so many ways. There are hundreds of ways. As, Ruk, as, as Rumi said, to kneel and kiss the ground. And, and Hafiz says something else too, which is, uh, which is where I'll finish. Hafiz, who is another poet of ecstasy, says, I am happy before I have a reason. 